Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Are you a parent with a newly diagnosed child with autism? Are you looking for answers on how you can help your struggling child? The online training course, Discovering Behavioral Intervention, is the answer. Real parents take you through applied behavior analysis in 10 step-by-step modules. Learn more at youdiscovering.org and follow them on Twitter at youdiscovering. We are very proud to have Mayor Johnson as our sponsor. Mayor Johnson is the world's special education super source. The Mayor Johnson sale is on. They have incredible, drastic savings on hundreds of products. So go to MayorJohnson.com. That's Mayor-Johnson.com. Follow them on Twitter at Mayor Johnson and visit them today. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Special Needs Talk Radio Network. We provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs and child-adolescent mental health communities. Thank you for joining us tonight. And now, on to the interview. Welcome to the Dr. Russell Hyken Show. Yeah, like I said, welcome to the show. I am very excited about today's show. You know, in my private practice, I'm seeing more and more adolescents, young adults, and adults with unique addictions, not just drug and alcohol or video gaming anymore. It crosses the spectrum over a variety of things. And that is why I asked Kelly Estes to be my guest today. Kelly has been working for 18 years as a therapist, life coach, and wellness coach. And she is currently in private practice. She works out of Florida, and she has a broad spectrum of clients. She uses an interactive solution-focused approach, and her approach is to provide support and feedback to clients to effectively help them address personal changes in their life. She uses a lot of complementary methodologies to help promote change and is a highly personalized and tailored approach for each individual. She's got a whole list of credentials, including a master's degree, a BA in psychology, lots of training certifications, addiction professional, yoga teacher, cognitive behavioral therapy. Callie has been working hard in the industry for a really long time, and I'm really excited to have her on the show today. Welcome, Callie. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing just great. Like I said, thanks for being on the show. Well, as I said in my preamble there, we're here to talk about addictions today and that addictions is no longer about just drugs and alcohol. So tell me a little bit about what you do and all the different types of addiction issues that you see and just kind of give us a little more of a background on how you work. Sure. I see everything from drug addiction to alcohol addiction. I see the gaming addiction in the adolescents and preteens. Um, the social media addiction, social media being Facebook, Twitter, Tango, Skype. Um, I also see the traditional gambling addictions and, of course, eating disorders. We're seeing that as well. Yeah, you know, and I often find a lot of these addictions don't tend to hang out by themselves. They like to hang out with other addictions. And so mm-hmm. I'm seeing a big crossover. But out of everything that you just mentioned, the one that really caught my attention is the social media addiction piece. He said Facebook and Skype and things like that. And, you know, I've been reading a lot lately about how maybe Facebook causes depression because, you know, your friends are having a good time on Facebook and you're not. 
But it sounds to me like you have a slightly different take on that. Talk to us a little bit about social media addiction, what that looks like, and just a little more background information. Well, the preteens and teens that are coming up with social media as part of their daily routine, they're tweeting and they're Facebooking everything. You know, I'm going to get coffee, I'm taking a shower, I'm brushing my hair. It's like everything they do is step-by-step by play, and it kind of gives it the celebrity, if you will, persona where they're on stage and everyone's watching what they're doing and where they're going and they're commenting. The problem with that is if someone doesn't like their status quick enough or they don't have enough likes, it affects their self-esteem. So we're seeing drops in self-esteem, we're seeing higher depression, and then they're on it constantly looking for that approval, looking for that gratification. And when that happens, they get that like or they get those two likes, there's a chemical that's released in their brain that makes them feel good. And they say, wow, I'm popular, I'm liked, wonderful. And then they're on it constantly. What can I do now for attention? What can I do for this? And it kind of gets out of hand. And if you take the phone from them or tell them, you know, you can't be on Facebook or Skype or Twitter or whatever it is, you need a break, we see the same withdrawal symptoms from that person that we would in gambling. Wow. Which is the same type of chemical reaction in the brain And it's not an outside drug source, so it's not like we can say, well, you took cocaine, so that's why your brain went that way. Their brain's actually releasing the chemical itself. So the brain is actually making them become addicted to what they're doing. So it's a harder treatment process for us to say, hey, let's take your phone for 24 hours because the teen or the young adult literally goes into a panic. I can't function. What am I going to do? And how am I, how someone going to reach me? So they, they panic over it. Um, you know, so, so how do you know when they've crossed, so how do you know when they when they've crossed that line? So I can remember like when texting was big. I remember the first time a client came into my office with it was a teenage daughter and the mother, and the mother was really mad at the girl because she had over three thousand text messages in one month. I thought, wow, that sounds like a lot. And then the girl explained to me, well, you know, that's me sitting on the couch texting my friends, and then look at my talk time. And she'd only had maybe 15, 20 minutes worth of talk time the entire month with the 3,000 text messages, which, funny enough, the talk time was all to her mother and none of her friends. So, <laughs> so that put in perspective for me that, you know, it can be a hard thing to judge because I took a step back when I first heard 3,000 text messages like, oh, my gosh, that's pretty excessive. But when she said, no, I'm like, you know, hanging out on the couch for an hour or two every night texting my friends, it put it all in perspective. So now you're talking about social media and you're talking about tweeting. And I do tweet, but I only tweet three to five times a day. Um, but you're telling yeah. me you're tweeting all of the time. So how does a how can a parent spot when it's you know it's one thing that's it's it's intriguing. It's like a new video game. I've got this new thing. I'm going to play it for a couple of weeks and then it goes away. But how can a parent really identify that their child's on social media too much? Well, if the communication isn't there and you're trying to have a conversation, uh, let's say with little Johnny, and little Johnny's words are yes, no, maybe, one-word answers, and he can't really give you a whole dialogue, he's probably on social media and texting too much where everything has become automated. So a lot go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. A lot of times I'll tell parents, take the phone away at dinner. Have a dinner hour. We've lost dinner hour. You know, with with parents working and soccer practice and this and that, nobody sits and has dinner anymore, and there's no conversation. So not only is the child used to that, now it becomes texting with your friends, and all the friends are texting, and all the friends are Facebooking and 
tweeting and whatever it is. So it's knowing when you talk to your child, if they're always on that phone, there's probably a problem. Right. And I tell all parents, the phone should always be off lock. You should have access to it at all times so you know what they're posting, especially if it's um, something that could harm them. A lot of people will post, you know, I'm depressed, I'm thinking of suicide on Facebook before they'll ever tell their friends or family. So that's something we can look at too and say, oh, look, Johnny's not happy. Look what Johnny's posting. Johnny's having a rough go of school. Oh, look, Johnny failed physics. You know, Johnny may come home and say, I got straight A's. But on Facebook, they'll post, I failed physics. So the parents need to be able to see these things and know what's going on. And if you can get into your child's account. Right. So how do you start that? And I, and I totally agree. And I have this conversation frequently with the families that I work with. But any strategies on how do you, do you just sort of tell your kids this is what you're doing? How do you approach that with your kids? And, um, you know, my thing is, you know, I've got a 10- and a 12-year-old, and, and we're already on their phones and their computers. We're already doing it. They know it's the way of the family. But a lot of families aren't starting that young. So how do you have that conversation it's not even a converse, it's not even a conversation. It's very simple. If you want to exist under my roof, here are the roles. I need access to your email. I need access to your Facebook. I need to see everything you're doing, whether you like it or not, because I want to make sure you're safe. Because there's a whole separate piece to this where you have young girls posting themselves in provocative outfits on Facebook or Twitter or wherever, and they're getting unwanted, for lack of a better term, you know, sex offenders following them around. There's a whole separate piece to the parents knowing what's being posted. So even for safety reasons, I would say to every parent, you should know what your child's posting, and you should know what they're tweeting and what's going on. Um, you should friend them on Facebook. You should, you know, follow their tweets so you have an idea of what's happening. And right. I always say, you know, being proactive like that will help a lot. And then if you say to your child, you know, we're going to go away for the weekend, we're going to go hiking, we're going to leave our phones at home, if it's a little bit more than a protest, they're probably addicted to the phone. But you want to be able to do those things where they're not always on the phone and they're not always texting and always doing all of that. Because what will happen is their social skills will be stunted as well. Right. So maybe sort of some rules up front, too, can help. Like I said, I have small kids, so we know. You know, one of the things I notice as a parent, and, and I'm a therapist as well, but I'm guilty of is that sometimes I maybe don't model the best habits for my kids in that area as well. And I think as a parent, we should all be cautious of, well, I am not addicted. If I see an important work message pop up on my phone, my first response might be to grab it and respond. And I have to self-regulate that as well. And so maybe they're not getting the right mm-hmm. message from parents as well. One of the things that I really like that you said, though, and I can't emphasize that enough, is that, you know what, if you want to live under my roof, you need to allow me access to your phone. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And I find a lot of parents struggle with that. And, and and they struggle with telling their kids that, and they struggle with monitoring. And one of the things they say, and, and I, I tell you this because if you disagree, I want to hear your thoughts on it, but sometimes I'll say to a, a family, listen, tell your kids that you're going to look at their phone tomorrow, and that way if there's a problem you know, and there's something bad in there, they can go and clean it up. And I've kind of always held the theory that if you do that enough times, your kids will think you're a pain and they'll stop pro- posting inappropriate thoughts. What do you think about this approach? Is that a good good approach, a bad approach? I'm, I'm curious. I don't think it will stop them from posting uh, inappropriate things, but I think they will think twice if mom is on there and auntie's on there and dad's on there and cousin's on there, and they can see everything going on, and it's going to get back to mom or dad either way. I should probably be on my best behavior. But right. it's also sitting down with them and saying, you know, 
there are certain things you don't want to do. You don't want to portray yourself a certain way because you will attract unwanted attention. And with unwanted attention comes trouble. And these are the things that could happen. Parents are so afraid to tell their children no. They're so afraid to say, no, this is not what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it because they're so afraid that their child is going to run away or not talk to them or whatever the issue is. And we have to go back to being able to say, no, I know what's better for you than you. You're 14. This is what I expect from you. This is what I need from you. And this is the way it's going to be. And know that that child's going to throw a temper tantrum. You know what? If you want to act that way, I'll take the phone altogether and you won't have it for a week. So there has to be repercussions and there has to be boundaries. Uh, But you are right. If you're having family dinner and you have a work message and the parent gets it, the child's going to see that and say, well, you answer your phone in the middle of dinner. So there has to be a no phone rule for that hour or a no phone rule for the weekend trip or whatever it is. Right, Um, right. Proactive is the best way to say to your child, you know, I want to talk to you about this. And it's the same thing with drugs and alcohol. A lot of parents don't talk about it. And they say, well, if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. My child won't even know it's there. Well, they know it's there. You know, they know sex is there and, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They know that at 12, 13. So if we sit them down and say, these are the drugs you're going to encounter and these are the effects you're going to have and show them pictures and show them visual images, they're going to be less likely to go out and try methamphetamine after they've seen pictures of it. And a lot of parents go, well, if I show them that, they're going to want to do it. Well, no, they're going to go, wow, that's going to be me? Yeah. And a lot of times that shock value says a lot for itself. So how do you and convey it, that with yeah, – and, and I agree. And, you know, and I've seen a lot of really powerful presentations. Um, I saw a presentation in high school not too long ago where not only did they show the effects of using drugs and alcohol, they actually showed the cost of what it costs to get out of DWI, how much damage, insurance. That really impacted the kids. They saw the, the physical and the emotional aspects and then the financial. And that's great with drugs and alcohol. But when it comes to something like, you know, an Internet addiction or a gambling addiction, which we haven't really talked about yet, or any of those, like you said, those things that are in our lives every day, I, you know, if if you told me I had an addiction with electronic media or my computer or my phone, I wouldn't be able to put it away necessarily. So how do we convey, how do we present that image to the kids? How do we show them you know, listen, if you continue to be on social media or you continue to be on Facebook, what what's the visual that goes with that that lets them know, wow, this really turns into a problem? Well, it can get out of hand. It's not necessarily, you know, oh, I'm posting everything I'm doing here and there, but what are the long-term effects? If you're posting yourself every time you do something and everybody's doing it, eventually everybody's kind of get kind of bored with each other and it might fizzle out. But if you're posting yourself you know, provocatively or sending a message that you're doing something you shouldn't be, those are the things you want to address first okay. because that will, you know, have the most trouble at the end. With being addicted to text messages, that's a little different than the social media. The text messages, one or two people going back and forth, you know, I hate my mom, she's this, she's that. Okay, we did the same thing on the phone when we were teenagers. We're just texting. But with the social media, you're putting it out there, and now it's not just you and your friend Becky. Now it's you and 1,000 friends are seeing everything you're putting out there so that there are, you know, ramifications. And if we take a look at the young lady that just got um, kidnapped, I can't think of her name off the top of my head. She was kidnapped, taken to the woods by the neighbor. Yes. As soon as she got released, she posted on Facebook, big smiling picture, I'm free, I'm this, I'm that. And the psychologist stepped in and said, oh, my goodness, mental health. And she said, mental health, that's what we do. 
And they said, why did you post on Facebook? And her answer was, I'm a teenager. That's what we do. So it has become so normal for teenagers to post everything that as adults, we go, wait a minute. You know, you were just kidnapped. Why are you posting happy pictures and think you'd be unhappy? But that's how she coped with her trauma through Facebook. Right. And you have you have the gentleman that killed his wife and put the picture on Facebook. Yeah. So it has become such a second nature for look what I just did or look what I'm doing or look where I'm going. And it, it's like the celebrities. The celebrities want you to know what they're doing. Good press is bad press. I mean, bad press is good press. And the teenagers see it the same way. Oh, I got in trouble. I got grounded. It's on Facebook. I got an F. It's on Facebook. Everything is on Facebook. So your whole life is so open. And right. we haven't had social media long enough to see the long-term mental health effects of what's going to happen. You know, and because we are what starting, happens? Go ahead. So we are we are starting to see, and, and and I think you're absolutely right. It has not been around long enough, and we are starting to see a lot of studies that are talking about how it impacts our sleep patterns. Because you know, I think along with that addiction. You know, you see kids waking up in the middle of the night looking at their phones. You know, I always tell parents we need to have a central charging station in the house so we know where the phones are every night. But we're seeing it, you know, and with that, I think we're th- we are seeing mental health issues, and there is more research coming out. So I think we really need to be aware of that. So does that addiction piece, is it a, is it a true addiction, or can it lead into depression and anxiety? Um, does it all kind of wrap around each other? I, th- I think, like you said, you know, you post on Facebook that you're happy, and then you get all these likes and you get happy, but if you don't get them, does that lead to a depression? Um, are there some other outlying mental health effects that come with that particular addiction that you can speak to? Well, with, with the addiction, it's instant gratification. So if you have someone who's a true addict, they want instant gratification. They want it now. And Facebook and social media has allowed for that. They post on there, whatever, and they get a response now. Within two seconds, someone's liked my post. That causes them to keep posting because they're getting that boost in their brain that says, ooh, right. attention. Right. So that's the true addiction piece. And what happens is then it, it pours into other areas of their life where they go to the store and they want to be in line first. Or they need, you know, the newest technological phone that came out and they want it tomorrow. So it's not just Facebook. It starts to bleed into all areas of their life. And then when they get a job, they want the same attention as a job. And what we're seeing is the younger generation is having a hard time keeping a job because we call them entitled or the me-centric generation where everything is me, everything is now. Well, that's social media. If I post, I'm going to the store, everyone knows I'm going to the store. If I'm at work and I say I'm going to the store and no one cares, I'm not getting the same gratification as I would for Facebook. Right. So it's that could even bring in negative, you know, in terms of, oh, you're at work and you're going to the store and shouldn't you be working? Um, exactly. You know? So, you know, it's so interesting. I, I read something a while ago where, you know, they were looking to hire somebody who had a clout score of over 60, and clout is a measure of all the social media. And I thought to myself, well, somebody has a clout score over 60, unless they're in social media, why would you want to hire a person that spends that much time on social media? Um, so I right. wonder how. You know, it, it just seems to be creeping in, you know, and to share that, that day by day, blow by blow, whether you're at school or work, at some point, I would imagine it is going to get negative attention. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so, and I like, you know, and, and sort of at the beginning of all this, you said these kids are creating celebrity personas. And I never really thought mm-hmm. about it like that, but I think within their own community, you know, and I even hear my kids joke about, well, that picture got 25 likes. That was really cool. 
um, and they will try and outdo each other with like. So um, I think it starts young, and I like what you said, just to sort of really regulate their use. It's part of our lives, and they need to know when to put it away. Um, so along with this sort of new addictions and technology and gaming and social media, um, one of the things that we had mentioned when we talked the other day before this interview was you're starting to see some more um, of the synthetic drug-type addictions. And I think that's something that's new as well. And while much different than social media and electronics addiction, I, I thought it was an appropriate thing to talk about because I really wanted to talk about sort of new and different types of addictions today. So if possible, let's kind of shift courses a little bit and talk to me a little bit about you know, what is a synthetic drug? Where are kids getting synthetic drugs and, and what can parents do? Sure. What's been, you know, tossed out there in the media is we know what to look for for cocaine and heroin and the pills and such and marijuana. What we don't know what to look for are the designer drugs that have come out and they're synthetics and you can buy them at a gas station, you can buy them at a head shop where you might buy uh, smoke paraphernalia. They're very easy to get. You can buy them at Walmart. It's that so simple. And they're legal substances. Legal substances, little packets. They look like little, like, almost like they have gum or candy in them. They're little tiny plastic packages about three inches high, three inches wide. And they'll say things on the front like smiles with a big smiley face or mm-hmm. pow with a big, like, um, lightning bolt. Little things like that that look like Pop Rocks, things you bought when you were a kid. Oh, it's candy. Sure. What they are are mimicking the illegal drugs. So there's one that mimics methamphetamine. There's one that mimics um, marijuana, and that's called spice. There's one that mimics um, cocaine. There's one that mimics heroin. And what they do is they buy it, and they can either snort it, they can smoke it, they can shoot it. And the problem is is it's not, it's not a, um, a natural substance, whereas cocaine is natural, heroin is natural. It's a synthetic substance that has all kinds of chemicals in it. Some of them have gasoline. Some of them have ammonia. Um, So they don't know what's in it. And it's not designed for human consumption. And it says on the packet, not designed for human consumption. So they take it and they use it and they're getting very sick. They're getting ill. Some of them are dying. And some of them have long-term psychological effects where it's not reversing. So... If someone is addicted to heroin or addicted to meth or addicted to cocaine, they come off of it, eventually the body will return to homeostasis unless they were doing so many big amounts of it that the brain reshifted itself. Having said that, in a very broad spectrum, because there's sure. certain drugs that will change everything, but having said that, these drugs change the brain and it doesn't change back. They get paranoia. They get schizophrenic breaks. Um, I had one young lady, she was shooting the bath salts and she'd been shooting for a year 19 year old girl pretty girl you would talk to her and her eyes would glaze over and she would sit perfectly still and just start drooling like she had some form of mental retardation and that would last for hours and then she would just start talking again like she never stopped and pick up right where she left three or four hours prior and in her mind it was perfectly normal but in reality, she's sitting there drooling. She eventually did, um, killed the lining of her heart because this stuff, it literally eats your heart. Oh, and wow. she overdosed. Mm-hmm. Her heart exploded. So, so these, drugs, these drugs are legal, yet they are way more dangerous than some of the illegal drugs in, in the broad sweeping, sweepingest of sweeping Exactly. 
Yep. Um, parents get all freaked out with the marijuana thing, and I say to parents, the worst thing marijuana is going to do for you is they're going to eat brownies and sleep on the sofa. <laughs> look for spice. Look for bath salts. You know, look for some other things. And I've told parents, you know, you have to toss their room. You have to go searching. If your child's if, acting odd, then look through their room. Ahead. So, so, so with with the things like the spice and the pile and all that, are these physically addicting as well, or is it more of a, I'm chasing? You know, is it more of that? You know, so the teenage brain is wired to do whatever feels good and to want to do more of it. Um, but I know certain right. substances are actually like physical cravings. So, are these synthetic drugs, or are kids craving these drugs, or is it more just they're fun and they don't know how to? stop the fun it's both um sometimes they'll crave it but it's more about the social aspect they'll go together it costs five dollars and they can have enough for 24 hours for three or four of them that's how cheap this is so it's not like they're going legal and really really dangerous cheap legal i can you know if i get pulled over in the car i'm not going to jail right you know it's not alcohol i'm not underage drinking i'm not buying dope from the dope man you know and then say to their parents well this is legal mom if it's out there, it must be okay. Well, it's not FDA approved. It's not okay. And, they're, right. you know, people are dying from it. You know, and I've noticed as they're slowly taking some of these synthetic drugs off the markets, the drug makers, wherever they may be, are just sort of slightly switching the chemical po- compounds, and then it mm-hmm. gets back on the market again. So it seems like they just keep sort of reconfiguring, and they're not going away, which makes it even scarier. And then it concerns me that a retailer would even bother to sell them. I mean, you know. You think of a, a reputable gas station or Walmart going, well, why would they even, you know, carry a product like that? Not that Walmart carries it, but I'm sure there are some national chains where it can be found, and you're like, wow. Um, so you said something in there which I really like, too, because you encouraged parents to toss a kid's room if something is up. And so I kind of wanted to have you speak a little bit about is what is it, you know, what are some things that, you know, just, just sort of closing up, what can parents look for, what can they do, what are some good rules to have in place to make sure that your child, uh, to hedge your bets, you know, there's no guarantees. We can do everything right and be the best parent in the world and something could go astray and we have an addict's child. But what are some sort of thoughts about what parents can do to preempt some of these things and what can they look for? Well, talking to your child about them before you get in the situation is one of the best things you can do. Sit down and, and show your child a drug and explain to them what happens. Google it. There are pictures of people on there. There are videos of people doing it and how they act and what's happened to them. There's obituaries. So explaining to someone, you know, to your child, this will kill you. And here's why. Let me show you. Um, for shock value, if you ever really, really want to shock your child with drugs, Google the word crocodile, K-R-O-C, crocodile, in Russia. The drug they're using and the, the uh, muscles fall right off the bone. It's disgusting. Oh, wow. I use that graphically. When I have a hardcore addict, adult, or child that doesn't want to stop, I show them that. And it kind of makes them think, especially if they're shooting. And they kind of go, oh, my God, that could be me. Yeah, it could. So showing them the drugs that are out there, what they do, how they act, and saying to the child, if you want to talk to me, having open communication, never never yelling at them. Don't ever yell if you find it. Have a conversation because as soon as you yell, they're going to do more of what you don't want them to do, and they're going to hide it. Right, and the I next like thing that. is open. knowing. Go ahead. Open. Go. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing is know what to look for. If they're isolating all of a sudden, they're sneaking out in the middle of the night, um, 
they come home and they act funny, they don't act normal, their eyes are glazed over, or they're not hungry, these are things to look for. And you want to have a conversation of what's going on, what's changing in your life, but you also want to toss their room. You want to come in and you want to toss everything. Look for those little packets. Look for drugs. Look for anything that's odd. If they have a car, guarantee you they're going to keep it in their car. So you want to look and see what you can find. And when you approach them with it, you don't want to be accusatory. If you're doing drugs, you're grounded. It has to be what's going on. Talk to me. You want them to talk to you versus the parent yelling. Because as soon as the parent yells, they will find a way to do it and they will find a way to hide it. And that's what we don't want. Right, and I think yelling becomes about winning and arguing and no longer about helping your kid. It's the parents are going to win or the kid's going to win in their own mind, and it's just a mess. And I think what I take away from all that is just talk with your kids. Talk with them frequently. You know, and I always tell my families, you know, you don't have to always talk about serious topics, but just spend time engaging your kids. You can talk about those serious topics as they come up and, you know, just being around them a lot, and maybe they'll bring the questions to you before they happen. We have been talking with Callie Estes. Did I pronounce that last name correctly? That's correct. Good. The Addictions Coach, and her website is, Callie Estes is at www.theaddictioncoach.com. Callie helps people with all different kinds of addictions of all different ages. Um, she travels. She'll go anywhere there's a problem. She's got a huge knowledge base. I think she's. if, if you're struggling with addictions, go to that website and take a look at it. Um, Callie, is there any other ways that uh, my listeners can get a hold of you if they would like to? Do you have any other websites or a phone number they could call? Sure. They can give me a call. I'm at 786-709-0479. And, again, I have two websites. I have theaddictionscoach.com, addictions is plural, or you can reach me at calliestes.com, C-A-L-I-E-S-T-E-S.com. Great. Thank you so much, Kelly, for a great and informative show today. Everybody, you've been listening to the Dr. Russell Hyken Show. Our guest today has been Kelly Estes, the Addictions. That's addictionspluralcoach.com. Um, and like I said, if you have a child or a loved one, husband, wife, parent that's struggling with addictions, take a look at our website. There's a lot of great information out there. Thanks again, Kelly. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Talk with you soon. Bye-bye.